My name is Paul, Paul Pitts III, PP3, as Josh and a lot of guys call me. Uh, it's, a it's, 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 a, it's a really a privilege of mine to be here. Uh, it's actually the first, come on in, we haven't started yet. It, it, it's the first camp regen I've ever been to, so it's a mighty privilege to be here for me. And I say oftentimes, if you're around me enough, that my two greatest joys in life are Christ and preaching Christ. So Jesus himself just being a ceaseless joy for me in my life and preaching his word. That therefore means loving his word and loving his people. So it's a great privilege for me to be here today and to preach God's word. So let's begin with prayer. Father God in heaven, we come humbly before you in the name of your son. I'm so grateful for your grace and your mercy, which displayed your infinite wisdom, God. God. Righteousness and justice are at the foundation of your throne, and our sin demands a penalty. But in your infinite wisdom, grace, and mercy, you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the life we can never live and died a death, not only as Savior, but as our substitute. And we're so thankful for his resurrection. We're so thankful that Jesus is alive. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to have life. And we pray, Lord, to live it well. So as we look at your word, open up our eyes that we may see wondrous things from it, that we may see the wonder of the person and work of Christ. God, open up our ears that we may hear the truth of your word and give us hearts to receive your word, to be convicted by your word, to be challenged and changed by your word. Father, may your word bring forth not just information, God, but transformation. So we are grateful for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that Christ would be exalted, God, you be glorified, and your Holy Spirit would work with the Word and through the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So you please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. The book of Colossians is right after the book of Philippians, it's right and it's right before 1 Thessalonians. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, the title of this message is fairly simple. It's for him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And our text reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It's the word of the living God. So during the last NBA playoffs, of course the NBA during the summer has a lot of hype. LeBron coming to LA, Carmelo going to Houston, all type of things. During the NBA playoffs, there was a commercial campaign where they were showing commercials constantly, almost every commercial break, 
break. And the commercial was essentially asking at its core, why do we play? And within the commercial, it was a future Hall of Famer, maybe you know him, maybe you don't, phenomenal basketball player named Kevin Garnett. And the, in the commercial, he was talking about what it means to have the heart of a champion. And Kevin Garnett asked of NBA players, and by extension, all, ask, all athletes, why they put in all of the work that, that athletics often require. Why the pain, the sweat, the tears, the sleepless nights, suffering injuries, making true sacrifices, missing birthdays, and different family events. But he was asking all of this walking around the NBA championship trophy. He would go on to say that the championship and winning a championship makes you do crazy things. And as he looked at the trophy, he said, I can look at this all day. It never gets old because for me, this was life. There's a clip of Kobe Bryant within the commercial. And Kobe says, we play for one thing and one thing only, championships. So the question is, do you agree? Is that how you often think about athletics and when you play your respective sports? Regardless as to whether you do or not, I want to assert to you today that the reason why we play should be no different than the reason why we live. The reason why we play should be no different than the reason why we live. Ball is not life. To live is Christ. And this brings us to our Holy Spirit-inspired letter of Colossians, which was written by the Apostle Paul to articulate the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in light of numerous false teachings that were coming against the church. Uh, people in the last session sat on the floor. There's still plenty of seats left, so uh, you don't have to stand the whole time. So within the book of Colossians... There's actually 95 verses. 54 of the verses within this book refer directly to Jesus. So Colossians is a very Christ-centered and Christ-exalting book. And Paul is essentially telling the church in Colossae that Christians find all that they need in Jesus. And our text today is the first section within the book that really gets to the heart of it all. So as we come to this text, this is what we'll see. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, Paul details the preeminence of Jesus so that you will pursue the highest purpose and joy of your existence, exalting Christ in all that you think, feel, and do. I'll say that one more time. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, Paul is detailing the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ so that you will pursue the highest purpose and joy of your existence, exalting Christ in all that you think, say, and do. To put it another way, in these verses, Colossians 1, verse 15 through 18, Paul is making crystal clear the incomparable greatness of Jesus in order that in love you will glorify him in all that you do, including sports. So through the word of God today, through this text, I want to help you to live your life and to play your sport for the same purpose, 
exalting Jesus Christ, the Savior whom you love, in all that you think, feel, and do. I want to help you live your life and play your sport for the same purpose, exalting Jesus Christ. So I want to consider this text, these verses from four headings and four points. In verse 15, we'll see that Christ is God. In verse 16, we'll see that Christ created all things. In verse 17, we'll see that Christ holds all things together. And in verse 18, we'll see that Christ is preeminent. Say that one more time. In verse 15, we'll see that Christ is God. Verse 16, Christ created all things. Verse 17, Christ holds all things together. In verse 18, Christ is preeminent. So we come to verse 15, where we'll see that Christ is God. And the scripture reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when we see that He there, we know emphatically that he's talking about Jesus. Because as we look at verses 13 and 14, it's speaking of the beloved Son of God, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It says that this he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And what that's getting at is it's telling us that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He makes the unseen God visible. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. He reveals God to us. Jesus is the exact likeness of God. And like he told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The eternal God is represented to us in Christ. And the scripture continues. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, what this emphatically does not mean is that Jesus is a part of creation and that he was born first. That's not what it's saying here when it says that he's the firstborn of all creation. In the Jewish and Greek culture, the firstborn son had all the right to the inheritance and the privileges from the father. It's the firstborn son who enjoys the special privilege from the father within that culture and within that time. So what Paul is getting at here, as he says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's saying that Jesus is the greatest in privilege with regards to God in creation. Jesus is first in rank. He's first in honor. He has the highest place and the highest honor within all of creation. So we see in this verse that in relation to God the Father, Jesus makes the invisible God visible, the unseen God seen. But in relation to creation, Jesus is first in rank, and he has the highest place. So in verse 15, it's very clear that Jesus is God. And since Jesus is God, that means it undeniably matters to you. It, since Jesus is God, all of your life must therefore be lived for his glory and not to your own. And this includes your participation in sports. You were created for this purpose, for the glory of God. We see that in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, where God speaking through the prophet says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, even in the mundane things of life. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Christians should be those who 
cry out like Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. You were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God could have just created you with eyes to where you would simply just behold and be satisfied with his glory. But God gave you in his image and like made in his image and likeness a body to glorify him with. But if you embrace a life of glorifying God, you must embrace the gospel of Christ. There is no glorifying God apart from repentance and belief in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner before a holy God. Not just imperfect as a sinner, but helpless and hopeless on your own, standing before this holy God. You must acknowledge Christ is Lord, as we heard last night. Acknowledging the fact that I don't make a very good Lord of my own life, because it tends only to sin. Jesus, you are Lord. I come to you and believe in you alone as Savior. God is glorified through sinners only through the glorification of his risen son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are to glorify God in your life, it will be through glorifying and faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ in here today, tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ. God is putting diamonds before you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not hold on to the dirt of sin. God is putting the ocean of glory before you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't play in a pile of mud. Come to Christ. In Revelation 7, we see a great multitude. You don't have to turn there. You can read it for yourself for sure. But we see a great multitude standing before the throne of God and standing before the Lamb being the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask a question just thinking about that text, just picturing it in your mind. Do you think this great multitude and the redeemed in all eternity, do you think as they stand before God, they will ask for their own throne? Do you think that this great multitude standing before the throne of God above and the Lamb, do you think that it will ever occur in their minds to ask for their own throne? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. Their heaven and our heaven and all eternity will be in his glory. You must understand that you were not created to build your own throne in this world, but to live in view of his. You were not meant to be worshipped and served by creation, but to worship and serve your creator. Eternal life and life for all eternity with God, it will not be full of mirrors and selfies. You will behold the glory of Christ and it's in him, the one who loved you and gave himself for you, that you will be completely, totally and eternally satisfied. So we see in verse 15 that Jesus is God and that we must play and live for his glory. And what that looks like, playing and living for the glory of Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What this looks like, how we do this is just acknowledging his blessing, acknowledging the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from above, acknowledging Jesus's faithfulness. 
that has brought you to this point, that has brought you to that team, that has given you these gifts. It's an inward heart state or a disposition of your heart that Jesus deserves all of the praise. And that you're unashamed to make it known. You're not hesitant to tell reporters if you're getting interviewed, to tell teammates giving you your props, that Jesus deserves all the glory. The reality is when Jesus is lifted up and glorified because of his own greatness and his goodness towards us, it satisfies us. But if you live and play to lift yourself up and for your own glory, that glory will only pass by. Glory that we achieve and pursue for ourselves will always be fleeting because it was not meant to be ours. So we see in verse 15 that Christ is God and that we should live and play for his glory. It is the highest purpose and joy of our existence to exalt him and all that we think, do, say, and feel. We, we come to verse 16, where we see that Christ created all things. And the verse reads, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we see first in this verse that Paul says, for by him, for by Jesus, all things were created. And what this means is that all things created have their cause in Jesus. He is the chief cause of all creation. Or to put it another way, all things created owe their very existence to Jesus. And the verse continues, it says, and by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. By Jesus, all things, everything was created and everything remains within creation. Things in heaven, like the angels, things on earth, like humans, like us, like animals, like the Grand Canyon, like amazing food, like beautiful beaches, sports, all created by Jesus in an ultimate sense. The visible things Jesus created, like angels and humans, but even the invisible things, like the human soul, by Jesus it was created. All thrones, dominions, rulers, or authority created and, in, and uh, put in place by Jesus, which therefore means that there's no throne, there's no dominion, there's no rule, there's no authority that is greater than Jesus's. He has all authority over heaven and earth because any authority, ruler, dominion that you can ever have, even your coach, <laughs> Jesus placed it there. So to put it another way, to help you think about it, no matter who is president, Jesus remains king. The verse 16 continues and it says, all things were created through him and for him. Here we see that all things very important. All things were created by Jesus now in this verse, through Jesus in this verse, and for Jesus within this verse. All things, everything that was created was created through Jesus. So when it says it's created through Jesus, it means that he is the very instrument of creation. The means by which everything came into existence and into being is through Jesus. 
He is the cause of creation. Jesus is the instrument of creation, but he's also the goal of creation. So when it says all things were created by him, through him, but for him, Jesus is the very goal of creation. This can also be translated that all things were created toward him, for and towards Jesus. All things were created with a view to Jesus, or all things were created in the service of Jesus. That's what it means when it's saying all things were created for Jesus. The reason you and I exist is for Jesus, not ourselves. There's nine times within these verses that we're looking at, verses 15 through 18. Nine times within these verses it refers to Jesus when it says either he or him. But four times within this verse, these verses it says all things. And that's very important and extremely practical that all things by, through, and for Jesus because this includes all of your life, but it also includes the sport that you play. It's for him. Exalting Jesus. It's the highest purpose and joy of your existence. It's for him. I want you to picture this. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Before the fall, uh, before creation was in a fallen state and destined to destruction and all of those things. I want you to picture just the first frog. The first frog in all of creation. And I want you to picture this first frog saying, Lord, you have made me jump. So for your glory, I will jump. This frog would be doing what the Lord gifted him to do. I mean, we all know that frogs have an amazing ability to jump. Much like cheetahs are extremely fast, gorillas are very strong, elephants are very big, or just you can go down the line. This frog or whatever would be doing what the Lord gifted him to do. And he wouldn't be doing it for his own glory or for his own glory from creation. He would be doing it for the glory of his creator. Jesus would then be glorified and this frog would be satisfied. So I keep saying that, satisfied. Why am I saying that? It's because of this. When the frog, the cheetah, the gorilla, or whatever it may be, when they do what they're gifted to do, for who they were made to do it, that brings forth true satisfaction. And the same is true for you. The Lord has gifted you in this season of life. And notice I say season to be able to jump, to run, to swim, to be strong and to play your sport. You were gifted to do these things from the Lord Jesus. You're gifted to do them from him. But you were made to do it for him as well. And this clearly matters for your life. And and I believe the application is very simple. And it's this worship Christ through your sport. And I use that word so intentionally, worship. Worship Christ through your sport. Worship is not just a song that you sing on Sundays or something you do when you come to a camp, camp region, or your youth group during the week. Worship is all of your life, including when you play. Jesus has gifted you with the ability to play your sport and with the passion to play your sport. And sports are for a short span of life. It will end. No one can play sports forever. But while you're in it, worship. Worship Christ as you play your sport. And what that means is just playing with Jesus and for Jesus. You don't 
prepare for the game with Jesus and then depart from him once the clock starts or, or, or the whistle blows. You play with Jesus and for Jesus and worshiping Jesus within your sport. What it looks like is depending on his strength and seeking to bring him praise. So as you play your sport, seeking to worship the Lord Jesus, the one who has gifted you with the ability and the passion to play the sport, depend on his strength and seek to bring him praise. And this means that you'll play with great enthusiasm and be on the quest for excellence. Playing for the glory of Jesus or playing as a means of worship does not mean that you play mediocre. It does not mean that you're soft as you play. It does not mean that you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that you don't seek to be great. Christian athletes should be the hardest working athletes in the world. Christian athletes should be the most passionate players there are. And it's because they play for a higher and greater purpose. Not to exalt themselves, not to justify themselves before their parents or their coaches or other teammates, but to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, the very reason for which you were created to live. Exalting Jesus in your life and in your sport, it requires all of you. It's not being half in. You seek victory. You seek to do well as you worship the Lord Jesus. But the end of it all, it's not about you. It's the worship and the glory of him. So when you play to worship, it changes things. It changes things because you're not defined by your stats. Or you're not defined by the scoreboard. You're defined by your Savior, the one in whom you play for, for his glory and to worship him. And that is liberating. That is liberating because there's no pressure then. It's all joy. As I play my sport to glorify and to worship the one, who, the, the one through whom all things were created by him and for him, towards him. It's completely liberating. Just think about it when you're singing at church or here at Camp Regen or your youth group, whatever it is, when you're worshiping the Lord through song, are you thinking about pressure? Even if you can't sing, you're not thinking about, oh, I can't sing that well. Or you're really not too consumed with, oh, I gotta be right on time in terms of the singer. If you maybe start a verse too early or get to the chorus before he does. You're not down in the dumps for the next week because you understand that it's not about you. You're worshiping your king. So when you see that Jesus is God and all things were created through him, by him, towards him, and for him, you live your life and play your sport for the same purpose, exalting him for his glory. And you play your sport as a means to worship him. And that brings us to our third heading. We've seen in verse 15 that Christ is God. In verse 16, that Christ created all things. And in verse 17, we see that Christ holds all things together. The text reads, verse 17, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. When it says that Jesus is before all things, what this is getting at is Jesus' eternal, timeless existence. Much like the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1.1, the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was before that beginning. 
Notice it just says in the beginning, God. Jesus was before all things. So when Paul is saying this, he's speaking of the eternal, timeless existence of Jesus. Before all things were, Jesus was. Jesus was and is before the beginning. So just logically thinking about this, if Jesus is before all things, including you and me, and including our sports and everything that we can do, then he must be more important than all of these things. And to put it in some LeVar Ball language, there is no big baller greater than Jesus because Jesus is the one who created the ball. And anyone who's balling. Jesus is before all things. He's before Instagram, Snapchat, any famous athlete you look up to, any particular or different sport that you play. Jesus is before all things. Towards him, he is the goal of all things. It's for him, by him, through him, and to him. And the verse continues, says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What Paul is getting at here is the fact that the universe relies on Jesus. Think about this. The universe relies on Jesus more than it does gravity to stay afloat. Christ is the controlling and unifying force of nature. Everything would fall apart if it wasn't for Jesus. He holds all things together. To put it simply, Jesus is the creator and he is the sustainer. Jesus is the maker and he is the maintainer. Every breath that you breathe, the very air that you are breathing right now, every moment that you have and every day that you live and every play that you play, it's an existence and a reality held together by Jesus. So this has massive implications for your life and it matters greatly for your life. Jesus holds all things together and he's before all things the game plan of your life, of the life that you live and the sports that you play, Jesus has to be at the top of your list. It must start with Jesus. He's before all things, so in your life and in your sports, you must begin with him. And a practical way to do this is through prayer. Prayerlessness in your life is a declaration of independence from God. What you entrust him to handle, you pray about. What do you think you can handle, you don't pray about. So as you begin your life, and particularly your sport with Jesus, begin with prayer. Meaning, pray before you play. And then, continue with prayer. Pray as you play. As I've said earlier, it's not as if once the gun goes off, or you step on the lines, or the shot clock begins, Jesus is gone now. And you can't call upon him, you can't lean upon him, you can't cling to his strength. You can pray in this life anywhere and anytime. Pray as you play. May Jesus be first as you play. For he is before all things. And then the scripture says that Jesus holds all things together. So this matters because Jesus is the glue of all creation. He made this world and he can handle anything, anything within this world. So the point there is to trust Jesus as you play for Jesus. Trust in him as you play for him. Jesus is in control. No matter what your coaches are doing, no matter what bickering you're getting in with your coaches, no matter what's going on with your teammates, no matter your playing time, no, no matter the 
expectation of going to college and scholarships and recruitment and all those things. No matter what those situations look like, Jesus is holding all of it together. No matter how bad it looks, Jesus is holding all of it together. And what this means is that within your sport and really within your life, failure is not final. We see within the scriptures, if you sin, confess your sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And in 1 John 2, 1, it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. How beautiful is it that sinners like us have an advocate with the Father being Jesus Christ, one who is righteous. But even on the playing field, failure is not final. What I mean by that is whether it's bad plays, whether it's terrible injuries, whether it's dropped passes, missed wide open shots, layups even, whether you miss kicks, whether you serve bad, whatever it could be, Jesus is still holding all of creation together, including that moment. When you fail in the realm of sport, Jesus doesn't cease to be in control. Jesus is not worried and nervous like we failed. What do we do now? Jesus is in control and he holds all things together. You can be content in that, cling to that. And what that does is it motivates and invigorates you to and, and, and propels you to persevere through those moments and to move forward. It motivates you to say this failure is not final. I can continue because Jesus is holding all things together. <laughs> Because Jesus is holding all things together, bring Jesus into every moment of your life. Bring Jesus into your failures. Because he's holding all of creation together, even in those moments. So we've seen in verse 15 that Christ is God. In verse 16, that Christ created all things. In verse 17, that Christ holds all things together. And we Come to our fourth heading in verse 18, where we'll see that Christ is preeminent, furthering the helping process of helping us to live our lives and to play for the same purpose, exalting Jesus, the greatest purpose and joy of our existence. Verse 18 reads, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This verse begins and it says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So Paul thus far has been talking about the supremacy and the greatness of Christ with regards to creation. But here, Paul moves on to the supremacy and the greatness of Christ within the realm of redemption. Paul is showing us that Jesus is supreme not only with regards to the physical, but with regards to the spiritual and future glory. Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus being the head means that Jesus is the sole authority of the church. There's no pope or no pastor or anything like that. That is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. He is the chief shepherd, the cornerstone over the church. Any pastor you have ultimately is an under shepherd under the chief shepherd being Jesus. He has placed and called him there and he will sustain him there. Jesus is the head 
of the church. And notice that with the church, it says the body. Then it says the church. The, 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 the church is more of an organism than his organization. It is a living community of the redeemed, of those who have been forgiven, of those who have been saved, repenting of their sins and putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the building as much as it is the people within the building. If you take the people out, it's just an empty building. So Jesus is the head of the church, of God's people, his children within the world. But the verse continues and it says that Jesus is the beginning. The church exists because Jesus is alive. Jesus died, but he rose again. Jesus is the founder and the builder of the church. And what was paramount for the existence of the church was the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. So remember from verse 15, as we looked at the word firstborn, it doesn't mean like within creation, the first being born, as much as it does highest in rank, the supreme place. Jesus is the resurrected one. And in eternity, when all the redeemed are resurrected and glorified, Jesus will be first in rank. He will have the highest honor. Jesus will have a unique and incomparable glory as the God, man and king by whom, through whom, for whom, and toward whom all things were created and exist. But why is this? Why did Paul go here? He says it in verse 18 when he says that in everything, he, Jesus, might be preeminent. It's all for the purpose of Jesus being preeminent. Jesus is preeminent right now and in and and. And in eternity, in all glory, Jesus is and will be preeminent, whether it's spiritual, physical, heaven, earth, on the church or on the playing field. Jesus is and will always be and remains preeminent. In your life or in your sport, Jesus must be preeminent because it's already a, a, a reality that he is. When it says preeminent, what this means is that Jesus himself in all things holds first place. That's what it means when it's saying that in all things Jesus will be preeminent, that Jesus himself in all things would hold first place. He'll have an unrivaled and an unequaled glory. So if you're a Christian here today, it is true that you will experience the glory of Jesus's preeminence for all of eternity. And you will glory in Jesus holding that first place forever. But that means that Jesus must be first place and preeminent within your life right now. Jesus must be first place in your love, in your time, in your worship, in your relationships, on your teams, in your practices, in the locker rooms, and in all of your life within this fallen world. And how is this done? How is Jesus preeminent within your lives? Well, one way is you understanding and grasping the conviction that no matter what you play or what you do, you are a Christian first and last. You are a Christian first and last. Before you're an athlete, you are a Christian. And what I mean by that is you don't introduce yourself to people saying, I am a football player. I am a tennis player. I am a soccer player. That is not what ultimately defines you. Your sport is not your identity. 
It is not who you are. That is something that you do. Something you have been gifted with to do for the glory of your creator and sustainer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So before you are an athlete, you are a Christian. And after you are an athlete, you are a Christian. And I say that because it is reality that you will not be playing athletics forever. This is a season of life. It's just not even possible in this fallen world with these decaying bodies that we will be able to play sports at such a high and intense level forever. Your career will come to an end. So it's so important to just even recognize that because your greatness in sports has no implications for the husband or the wife you'll be. On the son or the daughter you are. On the person that you are and on your character. But after you're an athlete, you will be a Christian. And ultimately, when you stand before the throne, I hope it is your boast that you are a Christian, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one who loves and clings to him. Because if it's just your athletics, it will not go well for you. Being a great football player does nothing with regards to your sin before a holy God. So Jesus being first place in your life and in your sports, it means that you remember and understand that you are a Christian first and last. Jesus being preeminent first place in your life also affects your attitude as you approach the sports in all of your life, but specifically with the sports, how you engage with your teammates, with your coaches, with the refs, no matter how much your coach is tripping, not playing you, not playing the best players or whatever it is. No matter how bad a call the ref called, when your feet were in, when you did not touch that ball, or whatever it may be, if Christ is preeminent, that affects the attitude in which you play the game. The fruits of the Spirit do not stop once the clock starts. The fruits of the Spirit do not stop once you begin the play of the game. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things do not cease to categorize and to characterize you as a Christian. First and last, that's what you are as you play for Christ's glory to exalt him. And Christ being preeminent, first within your life and within your sports, it also means that your victory is beyond competition. Your victory is beyond competition because the true victory of your life, the eternal victory of your life, was in Jesus' victory over sin and death and his resurrection. Of course, because as a Christian you want to play for the glory of Christ, for the worship of Christ with enthusiasm and excellence, you are not defined by wins and losses. Ultimately, you as a person, as a soul, as a Christian, as an athlete, you are defined by the true victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a liberating thing because what it does to your heart, to your mind, is your psyche, to your passions as you play the sport, is you understand that it's not about you. It's about His glory. And even with that thought, it not being about you, you will receive, especially if you're great at the sport, so much influence. People will look up to you. People will do just different things for you because you're an athlete. There's such a reverence for athletes within this culture. But use that influence for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim Christ when you get interviewed uh, after great games or within newspapers or whatever it may be. 
Don't use your influence to get better romantic relationships or something rather than preaching Christ. Don't use your influence to cheat on tests because this guy likes when you score touchdowns or something. Use your influence for the glory of God and to preach Christ and to share the gospel with sinners who just may listen to you just because you're an athlete. And because Christ is preeminent, it's liberating. And he must be first because what it means is the measurement of your success is not the scoreboard, it's not the stat sheet, it's not your depth chart, it's faithfulness. Remember the parable of the talents where the servants come back and the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is the measurement of biblical uh, success. So strive to be faithful in your sport, responding to the glorious gospel and the beauty of the Lord Jesus as you seek to glorify him and to worship him and to put him first. Seek to be faithful, to steward well the gifts that he has given you as an athlete for this season of life. Seek to be faithful within all your life because you're compelled and love the fact that Christ is preeminent over your life. You must play for him. He is preeminent. He is first. And this means that you don't play your sport to justify yourself. The 10 seconds that you run on the track do not justify your existence. The amount of points that you score do not justify the fact that whether you can hold your head high when you walk in the halls or not. Your, your existence is not justified. Your ability or confidence with regards to talking to people or having friends is not justified by the type of athlete you are. Your existence is justified by who you are in Christ, by grace through faith. You are in Jesus, a son and daughter of God. And being a child of God is something that will never change. Being an athlete is something that is only for a season. And you would never want sports to be the justification for your existence. You don't want that. Because sports won't forgive you if you fail. And sports won't satisfy you if you get all that you desire. Just ask Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. Christ alone forgives and satisfies. There is no enduring hunt for the Christian for meaning and truth and purpose within life. The end hunt is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one by whom, through whom, and for whom we have been created. So in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, it's made crystal clear that Christ is God. He created all things. He holds all things together and that Jesus is preeminent. We live our lives and play our sport for the same purpose, exalting Jesus, the Savior whom we love. It is the highest of our purpose and of our joy within our existence. Understand this, to live well is to live for Christ. And to die well is to die for his glory. And it's also true that to play well is to play for Christ. And to compete well is to compete for his glory. That is what you were made for. There was a former world-class athlete named Charles Thomas Studd who eventually left athletics to be a missionary. He got it right. 
He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ shall last. Indeed, Christ is the first, the alpha of creation. Christ is the last, the omega of creation. And the only reason that you and I exist is for him. To live is Christ. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we are so grateful for your grace, for your mercy, for your faithfulness towards us. We're so grateful, God, that you displayed your love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, made us new, saved our souls. Lord, it is evident through your word that we are created by Jesus, through Jesus and for Jesus. May we live to that end. Heavenly Father God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise, and we pray that every effort of our lives would display the matchless worth of Christ. May we live as living sacrifices, and you be glorified today and every day in all of our lives and all that we do. May the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted by little ones such as I, such as us. In Jesus' name, amen.